Take your Bibles and turn with me to the six, uh, excuse me, to the fourteenth chapter of John's Gospel. I was sitting down there reading out of the sixth chapter a minute ago, and I almost said, "Turn there." Don't turn to the fourteenth chapter of John's Gospel as we continue this morning thinking about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know these passages. I, I, I've alluded to this, maybe even mentioned it outright, but these passages that make up his final discourse, his discourse just before he goes to the cross, as he's teaching his disciples, are really extremely intimate words. They are preparing those disciples who are with him on the earth for his immediate departure. But it's not just doing that. It's very intimate and very meaningful, not only for those who are right there with him, but as we'll see in John, in John 17 in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, we'll see it's also very intimate for each one of us who are now believers because of their ministry. Jesus talking here to all of his disciples, both those there in Palestine in that day and those who are his disciples in the 21st century sitting in Grace Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky, the United States of America, 2,000 plus years later. And these are intimate words. These are precious words. These are encouraging words. These are strengthening words and words that we dare not miss. And so often I'm afraid we just kind of fly through these and think, well, we've heard all that before, certainly. But you know, there's just such a, there's such a, a richness here and such an importance for the daily Christian life that we don't need to just fly through it. I'm always amazed at how the gospel is so clearly presented by Jesus in this discourse. I think back to to, to verse 15, which is not a verse that's in our text today. But, but if you look at that, if you're not careful, you'll miss that. And you'll, you'll misinterpret it if you're not careful. Jesus says, listen, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is very significant that he didn't say, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. He's not talking about a work salvation here. He's talking about in this whole concept, this whole understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and, and, and in the world, he's, he wants us to understand that all of this is contingent upon His grace. All of this is contingent upon our relationship with Him. The Holy Spirit is not functioning in your life as, as the way He's talking about here if you are not a believer, if you're not in Christ. And, and yet He says, if you are in me, if, if you love me, if... If I have entered your life by God's grace and have changed your life, if you are in me, if you are, you will love me. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll desire to obey me. You'll, you'll desire to know me more and more every day. My life will captivate your life. And my life growing and, and shining in your life will cause the, the light of the world to just kind of diminish because of what? You've learned by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Hear the word of the Lord this morning as I read again from John's Gospel, chapter 14. Just those last verses, beginning in verse 25. And then we're going to depart and look at some other things with this. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the word there is paraclete in the Greek, could be translated helper, could be translated counselor. And sometimes when you see it as counselor, we may miss that because a lot of times 
the word counselor today, we, we think more of, of therapeutic you know, involvement, people sitting down and listening and counseling. The word there is re- literally a, le- a legal term. Paraclete is more of a legal term. It, it's, a, it's a counselor. It's an advocate. It's one who comes to our defense and comes to our aid when we need him. And that indeed is what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, but the helper, the paraclete, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful or afraid. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. Just right in the same phrase, a double a double important meaning there. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come. I'm going to come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. I go away, but yet I come to you, and if you love me, you would rejoice because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let us go out from here. After observing the final supper together, the Passover that he reinterpreted from the the Exodus experience, reinterpreted to a more contemporary experience of his own life, reinterpreting it, saying that, that I am the Passover lamb. I am the one who has now come that real forgiveness of sins might take place. I'm the one that has now come so that there might be a cleansing. It might be a changing of lives because of the sacrifice that I'm making. Jesus said, I want you to understand this is important. Let's get up and go out from here and move toward what I came in the world to do, and that is the cross. Let us get up and go out. You know, there, there had to have been a temptation by those disciples just say, no, let's stay right here. Just like Peter and John, James did on the Mount of Transfiguration when they saw Elijah and Moses and Jesus was transfigured before them in all his glory. And they said, hey, let's don't go anywhere. Let's stay right here. Let's don't go back down in the valley. Let's stay on top of the mountain because it feels good up here. It feels great up here. And we see the glory of Christ. Let's just stay right here. But you can't stay there. Those disciples, even in their misunderstanding of what was taking place in that upper room with that Passover meal, no doubt would have loved to have just said, Lord, we don't want to go out of here because you say you're going to leave us. We don't want you to leave us. Let's stay together. Let's don't leave this room. But Jesus, after giving this statement about obedience to the Father, said, let us get up and let us go out from here because he had to go out of that place in order to be obedient to the Father. But don't you just love the way he says in verse 15, If you love me, you keep my commandments. And then in verse 31, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as he commands. Our our love for Christ and our obedience to Christ proves our love just as his obedience to the Father proved his love. Now, all of this in the Trinitarian understanding of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A difficult task to wrestle with, no doubt. A, a, A a concept that we as human beings will wrestle with for the rest of our lives and never understand it and not sure we'll fully understand it even when we're in heaven with with Christ. 
but an important one taught in Scripture. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian expression, one God manifest in three persons, one God demonstrating himself in three persons, and, and all yet one God. The Lord our God is one, the Scripture makes very clear. And now Jesus talks about the Father, whom he's going to pray to in a few minutes. He talks about his own ministry, and he talks about sending the ministry of the Spirit. I go away, and I come. I go away so that the Father might send the Helper. I go away so that he might infill you, and so that he might empower you, and that you may walk in him, and in me, and in life, because of his presence in your life. All that sounds so theoretical, doesn't it? It's not theoretical at all. It's very, very intimately practical. What does the Holy Spirit do? What is the work of the Holy Spirit? I think, I think we have to kind of look at that in, a, in sort of a broad sense in order to draw it down to a narrow sense as we move through the next several chapters. Because Jesus, all the way through, in, ver- in chapter 15 and chapter 16, he's going to continue to talk about the ministry and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we need to see it in a broad term in order to have Jesus draw it down in a narrow sense. First thing I want you to fully understand is the first purpose, first purpose and work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. That's why he's being sent in the world. He's being sent in order to glorify who Jesus is. You know, one way you can answer this question is the work of the Holy Spirit is, is similar to the Father and the Son, obviously, because they're all made up in the Godhead, so what one does, the others do in one sense. But if you look over in verse chapter 16, and we'll come to this later, look at it in depth. In chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, but when he... The Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, comes. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but what he hears he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things the Father, uh, uh, that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. In fact, in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 26, he says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The first thing we need to understand is the work of the Holy Spirit in this world and in our lives and in our church is to testify about and to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer, in his little book, uh, In Step with the Spirit, Uh, says that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to be a floodlight ministry. He shines this floodlight, and the object of the shining of the light is the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the Spirit is at work, and when the Spirit is truly manifesting Himself, then it will be a matter of fact that Jesus Christ is exalted and lifted up because the work of the Holy Spirit primarily is to glorify and to reveal and show us Christ. A lot of the misuses in the contemporary church is when, when the Holy Spirit becomes the main focus. And, and all that's talked about is the Holy Spirit. There's been a reaction to that in our day. Maybe that's part of the Baptist reaction, you know, that, that some groups have so focused on the Holy Spirit that everything's about the Holy Spirit. But when, when the Holy Spirit is truly at work, Jesus Christ will be exalted. And that's important for us to understand that if if the, if the Spirit is at work in your life, Christ is the focus of your life. 
If the Holy Spirit is work in our church, then Christ is the focus of our church. When the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, doing other parts of His work that we'll talk about in a minute, then Jesus Christ is lifted up. And Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw men and women to myself. And that's the work of the Spirit, to point toward Jesus. To to be, in, in one sense, the same ministry that John the Baptist had, when John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. The Holy Spirit will clearly show us who Christ is and glorify Him. So it's important that we understand that as, the Holy, uh, as important as the Holy Spirit is, He will never preempt the place of Christ in our thinking. Jesus Christ is central. Jesus Christ is ultimate in our understanding of salvation and understanding about the Christian life. So He'll glorify Christ. The second thing these verses we just read talk about is that He will teach us about Christ. The, the Holy Spirit, partially glor- a part of His glorifying of Jesus, is to teach about Him. He, he does this by teaching about Him in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are Spirit-breathed. They're Spirit-inspired. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit, of the men who wrote those. And the, and the focus of all of them, even from Genesis to Revelation, the entirety, the Old and the New Testament, the central figure and the central focus is Christ. In the Old Testament, it's Christ who is to come. In the Old Testament, it's the promise of the coming Messiah. It's the looking forward to Him. And the Spirit is energizing and teaching. And and you can see in many places in Scripture, and some even argue on every page of the Old Testament, you see the promise and the foreshadowing and the prophetic nature of the coming of Christ. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit inspired the teaching for us to understand the work that took place. Old Testament, talking about its coming. New Testament, New Covenant, talking about its accomplishment and now its application. But the Holy Spirit's ministry is always to be teaching about Jesus. They tell us about this new understanding of of the whole gospel, this whole new understanding of what it means to be in Christ. And so part of the thing we have to understand is, as, as John talks about in quoting Jesus here, Jesus talks about, is that his the teaching about him carry out a historical element. The Spirit recalls to our mind all that took place. And in the, new, in the apostles, he called to their mind all that took place, and they wrote it down, the things about Christ. That's why, that's why the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, people look at them and say they're so different. Yes, they are different. Some people look at it and say, well, you know, John doesn't say the things that Matthew says, and Mark doesn't tell us the same things that Luke does, and, and they're all kind of, there's a lot of differences there among the Gospels. Absolutely. Because they're all looking at it from four different dimensions, four different sides, if you will, all observing what took place, and all re- recalling things and writing things as the Holy Spirit calls that to their mind. And teaches the historicalness. We also understand it's doctrinal. In just a few chapters, we're going to see the doctrine of the atonement come full-blown in the death of Christ. We're going to see the, the sacrifice made there that was foreshadowed by the Lamb in the Old Testament, but is now fulfilled in Christ. And there's doctrinal understanding that the Spirit is going to open our eyes to. Just like what uh, Ricky read in our passage of Scripture this morning out of Ephesians chapter 2. That is contingent upon the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's talking about our sins that were forgiven and cleansed and washed away. That's the work of the Spirit in applying God's grace to our life. And it's prophetic. Jesus says he's going to 
take of mine and disclose it to you. All things of the Father is going to tell you about. And, and in verse 13 of chapter 16, he says, and he's going to disclose to you what is to come. So it's historical, it's doctrinal, and it's prophetic in its very nature of teaching us about Christ. You know, you don't know anything about Christ until the Spirit takes the Word and applies that truth to your life. You don't know anything about Christ other than what has been revealed in His Word. There's, there's no new revelation that someday, somehow you just got zapped with some new revelation. You know all about Jesus. You know about it from the Word that has been inspired by the Spirit and the Spirit opening your eyes to see it and believe it. So He glorifies Christ. He teaches us about Christ. Third thing the Spirit does according to Scripture is He draws men and women to Christ. He lifts him up, he exalts him, he glorifies him, he teaches about him, and then his work is to work in the life of a believer to open eyes and open hearts, as, as he did with Lydia there in the book of Acts with the Apostle Paul, so that they might believe in the one who has been sent. And he draw, the Holy Spirit draws them by his power to them. John said, quoting Jesus in, in John 6, and all that, uh, that no one comes to, to me unless the Father draws him. And, and there you see the sense of the Father and the Spirit in the same work of drawing men and women to faith in Christ. Don't ever forget that they're all at work within all aspects of it because they, they are all the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of God. Typically, theologically, we've looked at the work of the Godhead in the way of saying the Father planned it, the, God, the Father purposed it, the Son carried it out or accomplished it, and the Spirit now applies it to the life of the believer. And so you have the Godhead at work in, in, a, in a separation of work, but also in a unity of work, of bringing people, drawing people to faith in Christ. So fourth thing the Spirit does according to Scripture, and you find that over in the book of Ephesians also, where the Apostle Paul has given us that understanding. But in Ephesians chapter 1, listen to these words, talking about the Spirit. In verses 13 and 14, Paul writes, In Him, that is in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge or a down payment of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. The Spirit, Paul says here, that has drawn, the Spirit that has illuminated, the Spirit who has glorified Christ and taught us about Christ, that same Spirit now, as we are in Christ, redeemed by His grace, redeemed by His sacrifice on the cross, we are now sealed in Him. The Spirit also works at keeping us secure in Christ. That's the fourth thing. He glorifies Christ, He teaches us about Christ, He draws men and women of faith in Christ, and he, he, he seals us, He keeps us secure in Christ. Jesus spoke about, in John's Gospel, in chapters 10 and 6, where He said, you know, I'm, you're in me and I'm in the Father, and, 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 and you're in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. That's what Paul is illuminating here. That's what Paul is, is kind of dealing with here. When he says, listen, you're in the Father and you're in the Son, you are secure. And the Spirit has now taken that and sealed it 
we look at seal and sealing a lot of different ways in our day. I mean, you, uh, we cooked some beans last night that were that had been canned, and so they were sealed. They were they were tight, airtight, and so, to keep them fresh, to keep them secure and safe to eat. And we popped that seal and ate it. This seal can't be popped. We think about a seal of authority where the government has a seal that it places on something. Maybe a notary public or someone else. They, they place a seal that says, this is authoritatively true. It is sealed. It is declared as being true. And the Holy Spirit, as our seal, works in both of those ways. He declares that, A, Christ is true. He declares the Word is true. And He declares that our coming to Him by faith on the basis of His grace is true. And He seals us in Christ unto that day. I don't know, that ought to have been an amen, it seems like. Yeah, thank you. That's a great truth, folks. The Holy Spirit glorifying Christ seals you and protects you. Fifth thing he does is he produces Christ's character. He reproduces Christ's character in the life of the believer. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to talk a little more about that in depth because we're going to talk about his, uh, the whole concept of holiness by the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit producing holiness in the life of the believer. That's another term that we don't use very often that's so important. We are told to pursue holiness. For without it, no one will see God. No one will uh, be in God's presence for all of eternity, is what the writer of Hebrews says. And yet holiness is something we kind of pass off as, you know, oh, that's holier than thou. That's something we don't want to be holy because people won't like us. Holiness is, necess- is a necessity in the Christian walk. And, and so that is what holiness is. We'll see next week in more depth is, is it's the reproducing of Christ's character in the life of the believer. You know, we still live in a day and, and still live in a region that somehow misunderstands the whole thing about good works and about being good. I, I, heard, a, I heard a mother in Walmart about a month ago, just before Christmas. And I'm sure she meant to say Santa Claus, but she said God, uh, because just before Christmas. And she said, you know, if you're not a good little boy, God won't love you. Oh, I want to do my best to be good. Well, your best is not good enough. And yet, we, I remember as a child being told, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to be a good boy. You know, all these things that sound good to natural ears but have nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with Scripture, nothing at all to do with Scripture. Jesus is saying here, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit is sent, it's going to be better than me being there with you. Have you ever, have you ever wondered or, or, or thought, I wish I could have lived when Jesus was here in the flesh? Well, Jesus says it's better for you that you're living now and not then. It's better for you because I went away and I've sent the paraclete. I've sent the helper. So it's better for you because now the Holy Spirit is working and he is building in you, reproducing in you Christ's character. That's, his, that's one of his main purposes. Glorify Christ, teach about Christ, 
draw us to faith, seal us and protect us, and in the process, reproduce the character of Christ in our life. Now, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I, I really wish I could stand here this morning before you and say, I want you to understand that work is finished in me. I'm just like Christ. I'm just as perfect as he is. I have all the perfect characteristics that he had. I, the Holy Spirit has done a work in me, and he has, but he hasn't perfected it yet. Not perfect. Yeah, I don't have to amen that one. <laughs> he knows me. It's true. But he's at work doing that. He, he's at work building character. Paul talked about that to the Galatian Christians. I, I love the way he puts it. And he talks about fruit. Being the fruit of the Spirit. He says, but now the fruit of the Spirit, which is nothing more than the character of Christ. Nothing less than the character of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no, no law. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That is spiritual fruit. That is Holy Spirit fruit. That is the Holy Spirit at work in you, building your love and building your joy and building your patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and all these other things. That's the work of the Spirit in your life for every believer. It's called sanctification. It's called cleansing. It's called all sorts of things in Scripture. But the point is, it is a progressive thing that is taking place in every believer's life. You say, well, how do I measure? How do I know if that's really being produced in me? Well, just go back a few verses earlier. Because there, Paul talks about what the deeds of the flesh are. The fruit of the flesh. For the deeds or the fruit of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. He wasn't being exhaustive. But saying those things are things that are opposite of the character of Christ. I mean, we can look at that and say, oh, well, goodness, I'm certainly not guilty of, uh, uh, of I'm not guilty of immorality, not, not in a bad sense anyway, and Impurity, well, I may not be as pure as I ought to be, but I'm not really, I don't see myself as impure. I'm certainly not an idolater. I don't have any little idols sitting around or sorcery. I'm not doing witchcraft. But what about jealousy? What about strife causing dissensions? What about envy? puts envy and dissensions and factions and disputes with drunkenness and adultery and immorality and carousing. He said, listen, those are the fruit of the flesh. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to produce in you, on a progressive manner, the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not saying you better list these out and learn to do these if you want to be right with God. No. When you are right with God, when you love Christ, those things start being developed. You see, that's the, 
That's the gospel. It's not what you can earn with God. It's not how much you can make God love you. It's what kind of work has Christ done in your life that you express by loving Him. What is the work of the Spirit in your life? See, we live in a day when most of those fruit of the flesh are just kind of passed off as, eh, just kind of being normal. They're not normal. Not for, not for a professing believer. Not for one who says, I know Christ. They're not normal. They're very abnormal. So the Spirit's work is clearly manifest. Clearly manifest when Christ is exalted. That's why tomorrow at work, you want to have the Spirit of, you want to let the Spirit of, you want to let the Holy Spirit work within your life, then exalt Christ. Share Christ. Tell somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and about His sacrifice and His gift of eternal life to all who believe. I mean, the Holy Spirit says, we'll empower you to do that. You don't do it in your own strength. You don't do it in your own might. You don't do it. He empowers you to do it. That's part of His work in your life. You want to know the work of the Spirit more powerfully in your life than, than love Christ. Show that love. Not just, of course I love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. Jesus is so lovable. You don't really love him with your heart, your soul, your might. Really love him as not just a Savior, but love him as the Savior and the Lord, the only one. The only one that gives you hope, the only one that can lift you out of despair, the only one who can give you purpose beyond the mundane and the temporal. Holy Spirit was sent so that we who belong to Him would not be left like orphans without a home, without hope, but He would come and enliven us and enlighten us to the truths about Christ. I don't know about you. But I'm certainly thankful that Jesus went away so that he could send the paraclete. I'm certainly thankful that Jesus went away so that now he can empower from within, living within our lives as believers and strengthening us to obey. Next week we're going to look at one more dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit before we move into the, to the 15th chapter. It's the whole dimension of holiness. Read this passage again in preparation for that. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, 
I would just ask you to release the Holy Spirit to run rampant among our lives. I would ask you, Lord, to invade our lives with a new understanding of his work. That through us, he might glorify Christ. Through us, he might show Christ to those we work with and go to school with and live around, Lord, that he might just exalt the Savior, the King, through our lives. Father, I pray. Pray for men and women here this morning who may not know you, for young people who may not know you. Pray, Father, your Holy Spirit will invade their life and show them the truth this morning. Pray, Lord, you would draw them to yourself for salvation for, in Christ alone. Father, I pray you give us a burden. A burden for those that we know who need Christ. That because we love you, we will share with them. Because we love you, we will be obedient in that. Father, speak by your Spirit. Father, work by your Spirit this morning. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.